1: Today, I'm bringing you two cases. The first case is a missing persons case, a story about the sudden disappearance of 34-year-old Marie Deli, who was last seen walking out of her job at Walmart in Naples, Florida in May, 2010. Twelve years since her disappearance, the police have named a person of interest in her case, but no arrests or major breaks in the case have happened. Today's second case is a homicide case, I'll be sharing the story of 25-year-old Alicia Jackson from Columbus, Ohio, who was found brutally murdered in her apartment on December 2nd, 2010. Just like Marie, Alicia's case hasn't had much attention or many breakthroughs for 12 years, no suspects have been named, and no major leads have developed. Police are waiting for the public's help, and Alicia's family is desperately hoping for resolution. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library podcast. These are the stories of the puzzling disappearance of Marie Deli and the gruesome murder of Alicia Jackson. At the time of her disappearance, Marie was 34 years old, a wife and a mother of four. She was a Haitian immigrant who had lived in the States since 1984. And at the time of her disappearance, Marie was working at a Walmart in Naples, Florida in 2010. She worked at Walmart situated along US 41, just east of the Collier County Government Center. She had been working there for five years before she disappeared. And her coworkers had nothing but kind things to say about Marie. And her work ethic. She was described by her supervisors as a responsible and reliable person, which many of her family members agreed with. As previously mentioned, at the time of her disappearance, Marie was also a wife. She was married to Mathenol Darius. However, their marriage was known to outsiders as a rather volatile one. There are allegations that Marie had spoken about being physically abused by her husband, and her family told authorities that their arguments were pretty frequent. The weekend prior to her vanishing, it is alleged that Marie and Mathnall got into a fight. However, her husband has denied the accusations of their marriage ever turning violent. And according to Marie's son, Lavanda, his mother shared a rather ominous message with him before she disappeared. In his words, his mother told him, quote, My mom told me, Lavanda, if I ever die, just know that Ken Ken killed me, End quote. Ken Ken is apparently Mathnald's nickname. The last time anyone saw Marie was on May 17, 2010, when she left her job after clocking out of work. Marie's husband reported her missing two days later. According to her husband, he dropped Marie off at work that day at 8.30 a.m., but did not pick her up after work. He also claims that he does not know who could have picked her up after work that day. According to reports, Walmart surveillance footage showed Marie leaving the store at 4.30 p.m. on May 17. However, she walked into a blind spot that the cameras couldn't pick up, so it couldn't be determined where she went or if she got into a vehicle that afternoon. While researching this case, I found out that Marie apparently did not have a driver's license, so it might be safe to say that she didn't drive off on her own, especially if she didn't have access to her own vehicle. There was something else in my research that I consider important information. Marie is diabetic and was not thought to have had her medication with her at the time she disappeared. So the question is, why would she disappear without necessary medication to keep her alive, if she simply wanted to run away from her life? It is reported that Marie Deli has actually left town before without alerting her husband on two previous occasions. Despite this, her family insists that Marie was a dedicated mother who just wouldn't walk away from her family and children. Let's get into some of the important details about this case. The first important detail is that since Marie went missing, there haven't been any charges or transactions in Marie's bank accounts. The second important detail would be that her husband underwent a four-question polygraph test and he failed two of the questions. It's not entirely clear what questions he failed, but we do know that his accounts of his activities when his wife vanished were said to be contradictory. He told law enforcement that he dropped her off that morning at work, but he claims she never actually walked into Walmart to clock into work. But we know she left Walmart at 4.30 p.m. that day because of the surveillance footage. And the third important detail about this case would be, on top of the contradictions, the suspicion surrounding Marie's husband, Mathnald, only grew because surveillance footage showed that a car similar to Mathnald's was in the Walmart parking lot on the afternoon that Marie went missing. And then later, a highway toll booth captured his vehicle making its way toward Miami, Florida. Along with this, Mathnald's phone records reportedly show that he was in Miami for a short period of time on the day Marie disappeared. According to Marie's son, Lavanda, Mathnald Darius abandoned Marie's children shortly after she vanished. When his mother went missing, Lavanda was 14 years old, and he remembers that Mathnald left his family and moved to Orlando and ended communication. According to Lavanda, he and his family never heard from Athanols again. Investigators turned their attention to the East Coast over the summer of 2010, passing out flyers in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. But while police were doing the work of trying to locate Marie, her children were left to pick up the pieces and adjust to a childhood without their mother. At the time when Marie disappeared, Lavanda held out hope that his mother would one day return to him alive, despite others in his life telling him that the odds of this were slim. In October 2015, five years after Marie vanished, her husband, Mathenal Darius, was arrested on charges of murder, but not for Marie Deli's case. In October 2015, a man visited the Hyatt Regency in Orlando and shot and killed an employee of the hotel. A 49-year-old man named Sidilian Forrestal. Mr. Forrestal was found shot to death in his own car on the fifth floor of the hotel's parking lot. The man who shot Mr. Forrestal, who was later identified as Marie's husband, Mathenol Darius, drove off in a red vehicle after killing Mr. Forrestal and pointing a gun at and threatening a hotel employee named Michael Biagioni. Police later found Mathenol Darius sitting in a vehicle with a gun and blood on his hands. He also reportedly tested positive for gunshot residue. Although the person of interest connected to Marie's missing persons case is now in prison for another crime, Marie Deli has still not been located. However, Mathenol Darius still remains a person of interest in the case of Marie Deli. After his mother's disappearance, LaVonda went on to become a wrestling and football star at Golden Gates High School in Naples. After his mother's disappearance, LaVonda went on to become a wrestling and football star at Golden Gates High School in Naples. And later, he competed on the wrestling team at Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, where he majored in criminal justice. But LaVonda still doesn't understand why Mathnald won't offer up what he knows about his mother's disappearance. Regarding Mathnald's arrest for murder, LaVonda has said, quote, Come on, you're going to do life for murder. Now's the time. If you know something, say something. We need to know." End quote. At the time of her disappearance, Marie Deli stood five feet, nine inches tall to five feet, 10 inches tall, and weighed 210 to 220 pounds. She had black, dark brown hair and brown eyes. She has two tattoos. One is the name Tyrese on her right shoulder, and the other is the name Mathnald on her left shoulder. Remember, Marie was prescribed diabetes medication, but it is unclear if she had them with her. She was last seen wearing a dark blue polo shirt and khaki pants, and she may go by her middle name, Chantal. Marie Deli would be in her mid-40s at the time this episode is published. Anyone with information about this case is urged to contact the Collier County Sheriff's Office at 239-252-9300 or contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-780-TIPS to submit an anonymous tip. The agency case number is 13706-10. Selling a little or a lot?
0: Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Maron from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues
1: This is the story of the murder of 25-year-old Alicia Jackson. Alicia Jackson was raised in Kentucky before her father moved the family to Pennsylvania when she was 15 years old. There, she attended Central Dauphin East High School in Harrisburg. During her time there, she started a step dance program, and in her senior year, she was voted homecoming queen and most likely to impact the world. In high school, she was considered popular, but not in the way we usually perceive popularity. She wasn't fake. She was down to earth. Her high school friend Renee remembered Alicia as funny, smart, and kind. From what I've read about Alicia, it's evident that she was just that person everyone wanted to know. During her college years, she earned a master's degree in city and regional planning at Ohio State University with hopes of pursuing a career in architecture. College is where she met and fell in love with her boyfriend Eugene Wilson, but the honeymoon period of their relationship eventually faded because after Alicia became pregnant, she learned Eugene had been unfaithful and he would be fathering a child with another woman. Obviously, there was a rough patch in their relationship for a while, but at 23 years old, Alicia had her son Jeremiah, who was affectionately known as Juju. Juju was the apple of his mother's eye. Alicia was known as the doting mother who valued motherhood. She had stacks of books about prenatal care, child rearing, and parenting. She loved showing off Juju at church on Sundays and telling people about the milestones her son hid along the way. Alicia would even dress up her son in lots of scarlet and gray, the colors of her alma mater. To anyone and everyone, it was obvious how much she loved and cherished her responsibility as a mother. And how much she was devoted and loving to her son. After college, Alicia got a job as a research associate at a nonprofit organization. In the fall of 2020, Alicia and Eugene patched things up, and Alicia announced that she and her family were making a move to Dallas, Texas. Once Eugene finished his degree at Ohio State University, the couple and their son had made plans to move to Dallas for Eugene's new job. According to friends, Alicia was really looking forward to this new chapter of her life, but sadly, she was never able to turn the page to that new chapter. On December 2nd, 2010, Alicia's live-in boyfriend, Eugene, came home to their apartment in Columbus, Ohio, to find Alicia brutally murdered. She was stabbed over 30 times in the neck, chest, and face, and her son, Jeremiah, was sitting unharmed in his high chair nearby presumably the witness to his own mother's gruesome murder. On the day of her murder, Alicia had left early from her job, picked up her son from her babysitter, and arrived home by 5.30 p.m. According to the Clermont Sun, Alicia had placed Jeremiah in his high chair and found some cartoons for him to watch as she prepared dinner. Reportedly, as dinner cooked, Alicia began reviewing her bills at the coffee table. But just as Alicia settled into her routine, someone knocked on the door. We know that Eugene called the police when he arrived home at 9 p.m. So somewhere between 5.30 p.m. and 9 p.m. that day, Alicia was attacked. When investigators arrived at the scene, they made note of the fact that the killer took two laptops along with Alicia's phone. However, Alicia's purse was not taken and neither was her wallet, leading detectives to the conclusion that the motive was not robbery. It has been thrown out there that possibly the thefts were just an afterthought, that perhaps the killer took the laptops and phone because they were in plain sight. But it has also been theorized that there was something on either the laptops or Alicia's phone that could have provided a clue about the killer's identity, and that's why they were taken. To detectives, it's a real possibility that Alicia knew her killer, and they believe this mainly for two reasons. One, the amount of time she was stabbed. She was stabbed over 30 times, which suggests great rage toward Alicia. And two, there appeared to be no forced entry into her apartment. This means she may have let her killer in, which her family insists she only would have done if she knew who it was. Alicia's younger brother, who is still fighting for justice for his big sister, claims, she was cautious. It would be very unlikely for her to see somebody at the door that she doesn't know and let them in the house with her toddler son there while she was feeding there is a zero percent chance that would happen." Another factor that strengthens the theory that Alicia knew her killer is that neighbors heard no disturbance despite the violent scene and blood-spattered living room. According to the Claremont Sun, there were also no signs that Alicia had fought off her attacker. There wasn't any damage inside the home that indicated a life or death struggle had ensued. She most likely didn't see the attack coming. This all points to the idea that her killer was welcomed in and was not perceived by Alicia as a threat. There are quite a few circumstances about this case that are frustrating. For example, there were no surveillance cameras that could provide any clues. Also, crime scene evidence was tested, but nothing that was collected pointed detectives to a suspect. Authorities also searched the area near Alicia's apartment, and even local dumpsters for any discarded evidence, but they found nothing. With no witnesses, surveillance footage, or murder weapon, investigators knew this homicide would be difficult to solve. You might be thinking, as we do with many murder cases, what about the victim's partner? Is it possible Alicia's boyfriend could be a suspect in her murder? Well, police said Eugene cooperated fully with authorities and his whereabouts at the time of Alicia's murder were accounted for. So, as of now, police say he's not a suspect. Despite the police testing crime scene evidence and questioning persons of interest, the case is still unsolved almost 12 years later. Over the course of the investigation, no charges have been filed, and no suspect or person of interest has been publicly named. But police say the investigation remains open and active. At this point, police are waiting for tips or a magic phone call that will help them crack the case wide open. And Alicia's family hopes someone, somewhere, knows a piece of information that will lead them to Alicia's killer and eventually justice for Alicia. If you have any information on this case, contact the Columbus Police Division's Homicide Cold Case Unit at 614 645 4036. Or tips can be submitted anonymously online at Central Ohio Crime Stoppers. At www.stopcrime.org or by calling Crime Stoppers at 614 461 8477.